If you could sit down and you could stare some youth pastors in the face and say, listen, here's what you need to know based on my perspective as a college professor. Give it to us. One of the things that I've learned is that teens actually want and need a spiritual mentor. Like each teen needs their own. Huh. And I don't think youth ministries have the capacity for that level of one-on-one discipleship. Yeah. But the church does. Welcome to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm Cameron Cole, and I am standing in for Davis Lacey, the pride of LJ, Georgia. Davis has a voice for radio. Cameron has a face for radio. For those of you who are totally unfamiliar with me, I'm the uh, chairman of Rooted. I've done youth ministry for 18 years. I do that in Birmingham, Alabama. And today I have uh, with me a man who has a lot of wisdom to share with youth pastors, Dr. Anthony Bradley. Dr. Bradley, welcome to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, man. So um, one thing that really needs to be said, and this speaks to the, the power of God's reconciling love, is that I am a massive Alabama fan. Anthony is a massive Clemson fan. As we speak, he has a Clemson shirt on. He has his purple and orange Clemson socks on. And on his computer, he has a big Clemson Tiger Paul. But we can stay in the same room. We can. That's the power of the gospel right there. That is. It, it can bring people together, even though they're frenemies. That's right. That's right. Season. Well, and also it's the power of um, Alabama since Dabo Sweeney, Clemson's coach, went to Alabama. Oh, Very true. Couldn't help a Bama. Bama yeah. couldn't help himself. Bamers yeah. can't help themselves. Now, it's really interesting, though. You know, people ask me why I'm, I'm a Clemson fan. It has, it has a lot to do, not just with the sports program, but that's, that's where my faith really grew. And so Clemson has a very special yeah. place for me because uh, as, a, as a student, being, I was raised in Atlanta, raised in a United Methodist church. Oh. And, you know, in the South, you just go to church and it's just sort of what it is, right? Uh-huh. And I, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't really know anything. It wasn't like I was against Christianity or Ford or evangelistic. I just just went along with what the culture did. Uh-huh. And I went to Clemson and got involved in two ministries, uh, FCA yeah. and RUF. So Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Reform University Fellowship. And that was really where I was I was matured in my faith and kind of had a, a sort of an, an awakening. And so for me, Clemson is special, not just because of the great time that I had there, and it was a great time, but also that's the place where, where my faith really came alive. In fact, I have, there's a, there's a book I have in a chapter in, and the title of my chapter is Clemson Saved My Life. Wow. Yeah, because had it not been for those college ministries, I don't know where, where, I, where I would be. Wow. Praise the Lord. That, yeah, well, that takes your fanhood to a, a, more, a more meaningful and eternal level. Not just, yeah, not just football team. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Well, we, Anthony, will you tell us a little bit about um, what you do now and, and what, you know, what your work looks like in particular? So I teach at the King's College. It is a Christian liberal arts college in the heart of, of Manhattan. We are about two blocks south of Wall Street itself, a block south from Trinity Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. where Alexander Hamilton is buried. We are literally around the corner from the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, two blocks there as as well. So we are 
one of the two Christian colleges in the entire New York City area. If you can, you can believe that. Wow. In, in Nyack College. And I teach theology there and particularly religious studies. And so it's the intersection of theology and culture. That's sort of the, the space in which I, I inhabit. And I teach in the fall, mostly a course to freshmen. It's a bit of a worldview-ish sort of, sort of course. Mm-hmm. We think about it that way. It's called Christianity and Society. And we kind of take a bird's eye view of the Christian tradition's perspective on human nature, on psychology, on politics and economics, and thorough economic development, hmm. and, and issue, issues like that. A lot of stuff on family, a lot of stuff on, on personal idols, and a lot of stuff on anxiety and depression, hmm. and, and those sorts of issues. All right, so we I think we have a real opportunity here today, because Anthony uh, kind of receives the kids that Churches and Youth Ministries put out. And so we're going to have a candid conversation, and Anthony himself has his own observations, but he's also explicitly asked students, tell, tell me where your church has succeeded and tell me where your church has failed, failed you. So I'm just putting a dime in the jukebox. First thing I'd love to hear is just tell me some of your observations of the students that you receive. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been doing this now for... 13 years at King's College. I mean, I, I myself was involved in youth ministry probably for about 14 years. Mm-hmm. Also taught at the seminary level. I, I I also was a Christian school teacher. Okay. Right. So I, I taught Christian school for yeah. three years, ninth grade. And so I've sort of seen the spectrum in terms of experience with with young adults and, and, and teens. And interesting, no matter where I go, I sort of see the same sorts of patterns emerge. And so it, it's not that some of the observations are are specific to particular geographies or cultures or denominations. These are some sort of across the board uh, patterns that I, that I see in churches across denominations and in, in, in general. <laughs> and I, I think just a few things stand out immediately that that my students are frustrated at when they when they arrive Mm. on campus in college. The the first thing is that many of them are frustrated that they know very little about the Bible. Amen. Very, very little about what Mm -hmm. the Bible teaches. When issues come up, they don't know where to look in in the Bible for those things. They may know the gospel. They can recite the gospel itself. They may know a couple of doctrines, but they actually can't explain and can't articulate what the Bible actually says. And they're, they're often really, really frustrated uh, uh, with that. They, they also tend to be really frustrated that they weren't given really deep teaching when they were in, in high school. This may be a surprise to some, but high school students actually want adult level conversations in high school. They want to they be sophisticated. They want to feel like adults. And so the content needs to be adult conversation, adult content. And they really, they really lament that they got sort of, uh, they sort of talked down to them like they, like they were children. One student said in particular that, that adults don't think that we are intellectually developed. They think that we're just sort of perpetual eight-year-olds. Uh-huh. And, and they, they really, really want really deep, really, really deep uh, uh, content. I would say another thing is that 
is that teens, what we're finding is that teens actually want to hang out with adults. Huh. Had several, several students really lament the fact that they were too isolated from older adults in the, in the church. And I think in part, like I said earlier, they want to have adult conversations, right? I mean, there was a, there was a time in American history where you would go to the barbershop, right? Mm. And so you're in the barbershop with your dad, maybe your granddad, and you're in the room, you're 15, and you're listening in on this adult conversation, right? You get the sample in, and every now and then you might chime in and say something, Uh right? You might get invited to say something like that. Well, churches don't really have a lot of intergenerational conversations about issues that, that really enliven faith. And so the teens felt a bit isolated from the rest of the church's discussions about real life issues. I mean, adults are struggling with anxiety and insecurity and depression. They have their own personal struggles. And what's interesting is that those struggles that people are having in their 40s and 50s aren't that different than the struggles that the teens are having as well. And they want to be in the same conversation to get encouragement and to get insight about about those about those those same struggles. So I mean those are those are some of the things that, that really stand out to me immediately in terms of why there are some consistent some 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 consistent uh, frustrations that a lot of students have with their youth youth ministries. Huh. That's uh, that is all like very much in line and kind of on brand with what Rudy says. We, you know, one of our pillars is intergenerational integration. Mm-hmm. Kids are integrated into the church in a meaningful fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times we think about that in terms of just worshiping together and serving together. But I mean, one of the things I hear you saying there is that to, to have you know meaningful conversations and relationships and interactions. Yeah, they need, yeah, they they need to have meaningful connections. One one of the things that that I've I've learned is that teens actually want and need a spiritual mentor hmm. like each team needs their own huh. and it's not that i don't think youth ministries have the capacity for that level of one-on-one yeah, discipleship right, yeah but the church does hmm. and and teens really do want and need another adult in their life hmm. and the Orthodox tradition, the Catholic tradition, the Anglican tradition, the Lutheran tradition, the Methodist tradition, there's a role of godparent, yeah, godfather, yeah, right. godmother. That's that that's that person's job. Right? It's to actually be the other spiritual coach for the child. Yeah. And when middle school, high school happens, that's the the exact time where that teen needs another adult. And so what I've said for churches is that you have 30, you have 30 teens, you need 30 adults, huh. right? Because that's what they, in terms of impressing faith on them, in terms of faith persistence, that mentoring coaching relationship is really, really important. So the intergenerational interaction actually needs to be at the individual level as well. And I think for some churches, for too many churches, we have all of this capacity for this, the number of adults in a church who are empty nesters, mm-hmm. the number of adults who might be senior citizens, right? Yeah. We have all of this adult capacity. We have more capacity for this than we activate. Mm-hmm. There's all this capacity and we don't even use it. That's right. 
right? So, so imagine, imagine a sort of surrogate uncle or a grandfatherly figure who is also invested in the life of a, of a teenager. It would radically change their life. I've, I've often said that it's really, it's really sad when a child leaves their church to go to college and no one really misses them at church other than a few friends and their parents and maybe their youth staff. But other adults need to be sending them letters of encouragement and support and texts saying, I miss you. You should be missed by the whole community. Wow. Not, not simply by, by one aspect of the church. That's a great, almost kind of like measure aspiration that children will be integrated to the extent that they're missed. That's really good language. And I think one thing you tapped on, tapped into the Anthony is, there's kind of long been this mentality of young adults are kind of the only people who are good youth volunteers. Uh, when in reality, you know, you have, like you said, empty nesters and elderly people have a lot more wisdom than 25 year olds. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I mean, so, so many churches, right. are just full of great parents. Sure. Right. I mean, parents, not who were perfect, but they're great quality uh, uh, adults. And why don't we share the wealth? Mm. Right, and you're right. That wisdom is, is 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 so is so important. There is something really powerful when there is another adult who is the same age of of a child's parent, the same age or older, who is equally invested in them. I've seen that. I've done it myself. It's really really powerful oh. when that happens, and the Lord uses that. I think in some pretty interesting ways if we're willing to, to activate it. Yeah, it's great. Um, we're going to take a commercial break, but when we come back, I want to talk a little more about what you said about kids and the Bible. So we'll be back in just a second. Hey listeners, Davis Lacey here, podcast producer for Rooted, and I interrupt this podcast to tell you about Rooted's most recent offering, The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School. The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School is a book published in partnership with New Growth Press. It's a collection of 30 essays from 30 different authors. Writers such as Scott Sauls, Jen Pollock-Michelle, David Zoll, and Sandra McCracken reflect on their teenage years and write about how if they would have known Jesus then, like they know him now, their high school years would have been filled with hope, freedom, and forgiveness, more so than they could have ever imagined. Students can utilize the Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School as a devotional. They can read it like any other book, or this would be a great resource for youth ministry small groups. You can order a copy of The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School for the Teenager in Your Life, available now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm Cameron Cole. We're talking to Anthony Bradley. Uh, he's a professor at the King's College in Manhattan. And so we're talking about what Anthony observes with his college freshmen. Uh, and, and some of the wisdom that he would pass on to youth pastors um, with, re, you know, with respect to what he observes, uh, you know, based on their spiritual maturity and, and what they've told him. So let's talk a little more about the Bible. You said that there's a sense of frustration they have about um, their level of knowledge of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that's um, how much of that is just a matter of biblical literacy? How much of that is? They weren't talking in inductive, uh, inductive fashion. What would you, based on what you see, what, what are some rec- observations you'd make and recommendations you'd make as well? That's, that's a great question. I think it's mostly biblical literacy. Yeah. They just don't know. They just don't know how to navigate the book. They don't. If you're to ask them, hey, what's, 
what happens in first and second Samuel? What are the songs? Like what what's the tendency? to? They 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 don't know the answer to this question. And we know this because when we teach these classes yeah. and we give them this content, they're like, why has no one ever taught me this? Right. That's how we know they're frustrated because they raise their hand and say, Well, why did my church never never teach me how to navigate through through the Bible? I think what happens sometimes is that we are so burdened by topics. Mm-hmm. That we think, well, we got to make sure we cover all these topics that we're actually missing the fact that the Bible does that already. And we, right. should, let, we should let the Bible take us to the topic rather than yeah. just having this menu of topics that we think we have to rinse and repeat every year or so in order to cover, uh, in order to have coverage. I'm telling you right now, if you read the book of Leviticus, uh-huh. okay. It's going to cover anything that could happen in a teen's life. It's going to be covered in the book of Leviticus, right? Yeah. So, I mean, De- Deuteronomy, if you read 1st, 2nd Samuel, the life of David, I mean, first, first six chapters of, of Daniel. I mean, there's the Bible's Corinthians. I mean, the Bible's just yeah. full of, of that, of that content. But there's a, there's a way of, of making it a book for them that's not just like a resource, right? But it's a life source. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sort of, it's something that they love. It's something that they they enjoy, and it's hard to enjoy something that you're not you're not familiar with. So I think, yeah. in, in terms of that, we need to be willing to risk risk not covering our favorite topics and letting the Bible do that do that for us. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I, I think I've also often said, teach the Book of Malachi. You know, it's four chapters. It's short. You're going to cover sovereignty of God, uh, care for the oppressed, particularly you know foreigners and orphans. You're going to talk about worship, talk about um, marriage, uh, eschatology, coming of the coming of the Lord. I mean, you're going to hit and just just a a, a book of the Bible can fit on a page and a half. You're going to cover all that, and that's the, that's part of the value of doing inductive Bible study. Um, but I think you're right as far as biblical literacy. Um, I mean, how much, particularly the Old Testament, how much of the Old Testament is totally off the table for kids because they, they don't, I mean, don't even know the books of the Bible. So mm, that is really good stuff. Um, what are some other things that kids have said to you that they wish that their youth pastors had done for them? Yeah, I, I think one, one of one of the, the laments that was, that was sort of, an extension of the isolation from, from adults. And this is this is partly from a lot of the, the data I've read recently from, from Christian Smith is that they don't know a lot about the failures of adults. Hmm. They don't know a lot about the anxieties of adults, the insecurities that adults have, the fears that, that adults have that adults are really fake huh. that they that they only present to them like surface sins and struggles but they don't really let teens in on the deep stuff that they're struggling with themselves and how the lord is wrestling how they're wrestling with the lord on on those things so there was lots of nods in the room where students communicated that we actually don't think they care about us huh. individually that they care about running the program. Mm-hmm. They care about meeting their metrics. 
they care about making sure that it's over at nine o'clock, that, that, that every single meeting ha- has this, has this, you know, particular liturgy to it, but we don't know if they care enough about us to actually tell us what's really going on with them. Hmm. And, and, and that, by the way, extends to their parents as well, that they want to know their parents' struggles and fears and insecurities and failures, because that's where faith comes alive and is real. And to me, it makes complete sense. I mean, the biblical story is a story that we learn of God's dealing with his people who are constantly failing mm. and, and are making bad decisions out of anxiety, mm. who are depressed, who are insecure. Those are all the sort of things that lead to idolatry, right? And when adults present their lives as if they don't struggle with that themselves, right. it gives these students a sense of, well, then what is this? Sure, sure. Or why is it that we're the ones that really struggle, but you guys are perfectly okay? And so, and so more adults, including parents, I think need to be more willing to let these teens in on the fact that they are currently struggling with issues. And I think part of the reservation is, well, we need to be the strong ones, right? We need to sort of present this, you know, we, we're sort of on this track of, of not having it all together, but we're sort of, you know, being shaped and formed and God's working in our lives. Well, actually... I mean, you know this as well. If God's working, really working your life, you're probably a wreck, <laughs> right? Yeah, because you're right. being confronted with all of your sin and your imperfections and and your temptations. And the the deeper you go with the Lord, the more those things get exposed. And so you're probably more like, oh my gosh, right? But teens want in on that. Oh wow, right? Yeah, they want in on all the hard stuff, and we often overprotect them from the hard stuff. But yeah. that's where they want to have the, the conversations, and they especially want to have those conversations with their parents. Huh. They want to know their they want to know their parents' failures, struggles, insecurities, and, and anxieties, and they want they they really really do want to know how their parents are wrestling with the Lord on those things. It it actually is counterintuitive, but it really encourages their children. When they know that their parents are also in the same place they are. And what it what it enlivens is, you know what? We're in this together. Mm-hmm. And so God is is working with us. And we're not, we're sort of growing to, in faith together. We're walking along together. Yeah. My parents are alongside me. I'm a, I'm a, also alongside her. And I think parents miss opportunities to have their children bless them and speak life into them. And encourage them when they don't when they don't share some of those things. Well, man, that's um, that's that is good stuff. And I, I think one thing too, I, I, some people, you know, I think there is a some some line of we don't want to put um, an appropriate burden on a child. And I, I, one thing I found that's really powerful is for parents to be or in youth pastors to be really transparent about the struggles of being a teenager. That was the that they experienced. That was the birth of the book, um, the Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School, uh, was for adults to speak to kids to say it was really hard, and this is you know this is uh, how I needed Jesus to meet me in that. Yeah. Well, Anthony, any other parting shots? If, yeah. You know, if you could sit down and you could stare, you know, stare some youth pastors in the face and say, "Listen, here's what you, here's here's what you need to know." based on my perspective as a college professor, 
give it to us. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that youth leaders need to redistribute the discipling role of of youth in their church. It's not really your job to do that. It's the church's job. Mm. And the more adults that you recruit and train to do that, the less likely you will be to burn out. Well, because you you don't have the bandwidth mm-hmm. to 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 carry the spiritual formation responsibilities for all of the teens in your church, you actually physically can't do it, and the mm-hmm. church is not designed for any one person to do that. And wow. so, what you want to do is be constantly recruiting and inviting and activating adults to pour themselves onto the. the the youth in your in your church and to do that with great discernment Hmm. one of the there was lots of head nods when i asked the entire freshman class this year this this question that young leaders were were seen as this one student said are kind of dangerous you don't want to put a 22 23 year old over a group of 16 year olds. And this is, this is what she said. And, and I was, I was listening and there are lots of head nods wow. going in, in the room. Oh man. The teens recognize a 23 year old doesn't have a lot of wisdom. Wow. And the 16 year olds are asking really deep questions about the future. Mm-hmm. And the 23 year old can't answer those questions because the 23 year old is still trying to figure it out yeah. themselves. That's one thing. But then secondly, secondly, a lot of them noted there was there was some agreement that sometimes they see their 22 23 24 year olds out oh. and in right in the city in their community and they or on Instagram or, or on Instagram and they see the disparity between how they how they present themselves at church yeah. and what they saw at that bar yeah or what they saw on their Instagram story, and there's a massive disparity in terms of uh, of how they actually live outside of the church and what they do in their youth group, and especially with girls, they were just like, we have no respect for these for these twenty three wow. hundred women because they tell us all this stuff, and then we see them, uh-huh. right? We, we yeah. see their stories, and they're in the club doing the, the exact same thing. But they come to church and they're all holy and all, all those sort of things. So you've got to be discerning about yeah. those leaders. And it's just better. The, the, one, one thing that I would I would say that's a bit counterintuitive, the older the better. How about when it? When it comes to investing in, in discipling teenagers, the older, the older, the better. Great stuff. Well, Anthony, it is really an honor and a privilege to have you. This was Really great stuff, and um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say it. Go Tigers! Go, Go Tigers! Now I'll, I'll ask Tigers. Sorry, Holden Tigers. Holden Tigers, and I'll, I'll actually say I can I can say Roll Tide. Oh, man. yeah, I can I can From do God's that. lips. From I, God's I, lips. I, can, I can do that because the gospel <laughs> brings us together, brother. This is just <laughs> cool stuff. So, well, hey, thanks for listening to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm Cameron Cole, and uh, we hope this blessed you. And we hope you have a great day. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. 
If you found this podcast helpful or encouraging, we'd appreciate your help in bringing this grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated content to others who might also benefit. Help us serve others by sharing this resource on social media, by leaving five-star feedback, or simply by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music on this podcast.